everyone, and thank you for listening to Then Again, the podcast of the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Guada Rodriguez, media producer here at the History Center. And today I welcome a very special guest. Her name is Vanessa Sarasua, uh, and she is going to talk about Hispanic Alliance Georgia. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I was mentioning to Vanessa a bit earlier if she had recalled our first initial meeting, which was not in person. It was over the phone and it was for a project that I was working on. On It was my senior year in college at the University of North Georgia. Yes, that's so great. So thank you so much for taking the time today. So could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am Vanessa Sarazua. First and foremost, I'm a mommy of, of five children who are, are growing, and I'm married. I started working in Gainesville as a volunteer for the CASA program many years ago, about 10 years ago, maybe 13 years ago. And I was advocating for Latino families in our community that were involved in defects cases and court cases. And that's how I really started to begin to grasp the great needs that our Latinos have locally. And then I worked for the Migrant Education Program for Hall County Schools, and I started as a tutor in helping those children fill the gaps that they have uh, being migratory families, working fields, and then calling Gainesville their home or Hall County their home. And then I became the facilitator of a team of six that would do that. But I found myself doing so much more for those families and those children, knowing their unique circumstances and how they were living in poverty that I started to connect them to resources or try to advocate for their needs locally as well as try to bring them food for example for our parent uh, meetings that we had with the migrant education program or collect coats for the children. So I found myself doing a lot of those things until it got to the point where I really felt that I needed to do a lot more. And that's when I founded Hispanic Alliance and left my job at Hall County Schools. Now, what year was it when this happened and how did the formation of this organization come about? Because what the organization does now is a lot <laughs> for the community of Gainesville. So in 2016, I really came to crossroads of either going and working in Gwinnett County for the migrant education program or, or just doing this. And I, you know, kind of commented to my husband that I really couldn't turn my back on what I had seen the needs were for this population and this community. And I felt that, that I could make a difference, that I could help those children and those families fill those gaps of services for them. So that's when I, I decided in 2016, I formed Hispanic Alliance. In 2017, I decided to, you know, just dedicate myself full time to what this is. And we knew we had, um, I contacted some community members as sounding boards about what I had seen and what I felt was going to be the mission of the organization in our community. And they supported my ideas and they thought it was great that they had never seen anything like um, what I was describing for our community, for our Latino community. And one of those was actually my first chair, which was Diego Covarrubias from Carniceria Tapatia. And he, he said, I, I believe in what you're doing. You can go ahead and do this. I really believe in what you're going to do for our community. 
And that's how it kicked off with our first board of three community members, him being the chair. And we had a community meeting where we invited agencies and discussed what the barriers and the needs were for our Latino community. Um, and that's how we kicked off uh, Hispanic Alliance. So how would you describe Hispanic Alliance, Georgia, like the entity, what you represent, what you're standing for to someone who probably might not know or might not have heard of the organization before? What would you tell this person that the organization provides? Well, being in such a unique place, because really Gainesville, Georgia is the world capital of poultry, right? And our community is very much the, um, the backbone of that work. It's agricultural work. And our community, you know, comes to Gainesville for that, for that work. So I, I felt that we have a, a unique opportunity as the migratory worker county, the largest in the whole state of migratory background workers that end up working poultry here, that we could, you know, tend to, to those immediate needs that they might have. So we provide basic needs, emergency food boxes that are culturally appropriate for our community. And we've been doing that for the last three years on our own without any support really from any food bank. And we help mommies in our community um, connect to other supports. So we help babies connect to formula and diapers, for example, but also to SNAPWIC and Medicaid so that they have other supports to help them improve their lives. Um, it's very hard to apply for those benefits. There's a lot of misconception around um, applications for public benefits for our community, especially when it's a mixed status families. They feel that it might affect their future immigration applications if they take, you know, help from WIC or from SNAP for applications, you know, for, for food stamps. So it's about education too. It's about helping our community navigate different systems that don't understand what their needs are. For example, for English classes. So we have English classes that help our community to do better in their workplaces as well as to prepare to become citizens in this country. But, you know, we, we wanted them to be able to integrate without having so much to show IDs or to have to be jumping through different hoops that they have a difficult time jumping through, right? Which is maybe having a, a valid ID or being residents of Georgia. Same thing with our program for GD in Spanish. We take what they've learned in their own countries and and help them to actually get an official GED in the state of Georgia. And you don't need to become, you don't have to be a Georgia resident in order to take the official Georgia exam, right? And, you know, that might be quicker for them to be able to support their families and get a job if they get a, a GED, even if it's in Spanish, than it is to have to take five to seven years of their life to learn English and then take the GED in English. So there's different things like that that we um, do to support our, our families. I think our largest program is most definitely the, um, the emergency food boxes that support our family. I think we were the first one to provide a culturally appropriate food box in the state of Georgia for our refugee and immigrant community. And that's important because our community um, is a hardworking community that's most often having to decide whether to pay rent or to buy food. And so with rice and beans and maseca, our community doesn't have to spend their, their money on that. But it also has to do with being able to 
feed or feel that they're feeding their families something that is more defined as dinner for them, is more defined as something that even if it's, you know, tortilla or uh, tortilla with eggs for dinner or rice, or even if it's just tortilla for for them, it's it's dinner, right? It's it's more like dinner than, you know, something that you know macaroni and cheese where they might also not have the butter and the milk to to stir in there, right? And living in poverty, our community is the largest living in poverty in uh, Gainesville. The children of our Latino families are the largest living in poverty, the largest group. That's why they go to the you know to schools and that's where they have lunch and you know and and they sometimes don't have anything except that. So we we couldn't sit by, I couldn't sit by and see those things happening without, you know, being more proactive and trying to solve those issues for our Latinos. I love the cultural appropriation element that is brought into this because it's one of those things where, so my, my family, they come from Mexico and my mom cannot finish a meal without her hot sauce and without the salsa, you know, it's like, I cannot eat without my tortillas and my salsa because I feel like I'm not eating a complete meal. Like I need these things and I can relate to that too. It's just kind of like your utensil in a way, you know, you don't feel full, fulfilled really. I need, I need these elements. <laughs> so pr providing those elements to more than one household, I think it's, it's quite amazing. And looking at the numbers, just to give some perspective to to our listeners, there are, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are the way that they categorize this, they list it as persons in poverty, and and this, this category is um, listed in percentage numbers. So that percentage number that they have listed is 12.1% out of a total population of 207,369 as of 2021. And so my, my question relating to these statistics, Hispanic Alliance Georgia is a nonprofit organization, of course, that works to provide individuals with access to the food and other necessities. So what like my question is, would you be able to give some perspective on what these numbers like really represent and what they really look like from, let's say, people that are coming into the doors or families that are coming to you? How, would you be able to provide some perspective on that? Well, just the fact that children are eating only at, at the school, some children, you know, it's pretty uh, serious. But also 30% uh, of, um, of, of that poverty rate is, is Latinos in poverty. It's the largest group of Latinos in poverty. I mean, we've grown in COVID. We saw a growth of about 1,000% as an organization when the need was there, we thankfully partnered with corporations that helped us feed our community in the worst pandemic. But they were already poor before the pandemic started. So that um, accentuated their poverty to have to go through the pandemic. And, you know, the, the numbers, um, if you look at the hospital community needs assessment, for example, they have a poverty section, and it shows that the largest living in poverty are the children, Latino children, actually. So I'm so thankful that we were able to have that as our, our main focus for the last three years, as well as supporting these families that are living in poverty. We've had, you know, students and staff your age say that when they arrived for work in Gainesville, they wish that they had had a, a Hispanic Alliance because they 
they've suffered hunger, you know. And so when um, they've come to to Gainesville for work, they've had to live wherever they could, you know, find a place to live. And that normally for our families comes with a lot of hardships. They come with nothing. So we've had to give beds, for example, to families who in the middle of winter are sleeping on the floor, hard floor, with their three children, right, upon arrival here for work. Another example was a family who came and they actually started living in a screened porch behind a house, right? And that's during winter and during summer and during everything. And um, so I've, I've had our, even our own staff say, I wish you know we had had Hispanic Alliance when we were growing up because we've provided something for our community to, you know, to feel that they are not going to go through hunger. Those children are, you know, they can, a place where they can come and stop by. And we also connect our community to other resources, which is a, a very big help when you are so disconnected or when you first arrive to a community and you don't know where to go, when you are uninsured or when you are a victim of domestic violence, for example, and you need some help. We're basically a one-stop shop for some of those things for our Latinos. Before, it used to be the bank. It used to be a bank on Jesse Jewell where our community would go, not only to you know bank, but to ask those questions because they had nothing else. So I, you know, we're a trusted organization. We've grown to serve last year with 75,000 individuals with food in 15 counties surrounding, right? So we overlap about three food bank territories, and we currently um, have partnered with the Atlanta Community Food Bank, finally, after three years of really just kind of, you know, just doing that on our own. And we're going to be able to hopefully be able to to have more access to, you know, USDA foods and be able to, to open that door for Latinos living in rural Georgia now. It's like a wonderful step. Congratulations. <laughs> I also wanted to mention that your organization, like you said, brings the resources. And I was looking through your Facebook posts and I was able to see El Consulado de Salvador, El Consulado de, was it? Guatemala came. Mm-hmm. That is amazing because like you mentioned, sometimes there are families that need these resources. And where do they go? They don't, like, how could they know where to go? And also you add in like the fact that they might have to commute or maybe they are unable to commute and maybe they don't have a vehicle or, or form of transportation to go to the resources that they need. So that that was a wonderful thing that I saw on Facebook and I just That's wanted really to mention. Hard, you know, to go to Atlanta for someone who doesn't drive or doesn't have a driver's license or um, and has to pay a taxi to go to Atlanta. I mean, it used to be $150 I think it's a lot more than that now. And, you know, we're kind of disconnected because we're very north from Atlanta. And, and I think that our, our rural Latinos, you know, they work very hard and they and they have, you know, they, they're very disconnected from a lot of, of resources because of many barriers. It's also work itself might also interfere with the hours and working long hours and trying to meet a certain amount of income for your family, to provide for your family, that that definitely, all these barriers add up. (laughs) Um, So going into my other question, how would you describe the relationship uh, between the community and the organization today? Well, we um, were definitely followed and uh, very well known within um, 
Hall County and beyond. I think we're one of the leading state agencies. We've served, we've surpassed the, the agencies that have served our Latinos in the state for 50 years. So I think that that is a testament of the, of the great need that there is in uh, rural Georgia. And I feel that, you know, diff- different areas have specific needs, you know, for our Latinos. And we're glad to be able to serve them here, you know, in the, in the poultry capital of the world. Because of the contributions, the many contributions that our Latinos have in half of the economy of the state, poultry represents. And, um, you know, we, we have newcomer families who come in that we're able to assist and help, you know, guide in our community to where they need to go for schools and for the health department or the different clinics where they can go, as well as provide them hygiene products and um, a box of food for, you know, immediately they start working, whether it's in hatcheries, whether it's catching chickens, whether it's in processing. That's one of the, the you know, the largest employers is that system, um, as well as construction, our community work construction and restaurants and other things as well, as well as business owners. We see a lot of business in Gainesville. And so our contributions locally are, are wonderful. And so we, we like to highlight that. I think our community, at our last Latino Fest, I had a lot of uh, great comments about what we do in, in our community. We had one specific that comes to mind was a man who's been here for 20 years. And he said, I'm, I, this Latino Fest is exactly what our community wants. You're putting on exactly what our community wants. And being our fourth one last year that, that we've put on, that was really a wonderful compliment for me because really it's done from the heart. It's a committee of community members who, whose only sole purpose is really helping to highlight the wonderful, rich culture and, and food and dance and music that we have to contribute locally. I love how the event has grown since the beginning because it has come quite a way in numbers compared to the first event that took place. So why don't you take us back, give us a little flashback to the first Latino Fest that took place here in Gainesville. Our first Latino Fest, we had it at Midland Greenway and we had the folklore dancing. We had a couple of restaurants and I think we had about 600 to 800 people that showed up. And this last one, we decided to incorporate local bands as well to our Latino Fest. So we have local bands that come and play, which are so great. They love coming. We also had some restaurants as well, representing not only the Mexican community, but also the Salvadoran community. We hope it'll grow to even more, you know, more representation of different, you know, nationalities in different countries. So 2018 was our first Latino Fest. And then we had one in 2019. And that one we moved to the square. And we wanted it to be on the square. And our thinking behind that was really that our community, some of our community had never stepped foot on the square, to tell you the truth. I mean, it had it was what it was. And for whatever reasons, they had never stepped foot on, on the square. So we, we wanted them to feel that they could, you know, that they could also be a part of that, that they also have some ownership and partaking at the square. And um, so I remember the 2019 on the square was we were setting up still and we started to see 
people that were coming up and sitting down in the little in the square and um and I I was a little afraid wondering if people would actually come to the square because they had not gone there before and the square had a history of maybe not being so welcoming for everyone you know at the square I mean there had been arrests there before or you know our history of the square wasn't uh, what it was supposed to be. So I, I really was afraid people were not going to go, but actually they, they did started to go. And they, they went and they came early and sat on that, you know, the little area in the middle and, and decided to um, to wait until we had everything set up to start that. And that one was good. Then the following year was COVID, and then we had one more on the square. And that one grew even more. Um, and last year we had our event moved to uh, Midland Greenway, and it was the largest ever that we've had. We had a lot of volunteers. It's not an easy thing to put on a Latino fest or any festival, really. Um, but we do it because uh, it means so much to our community to showcase what they have. Um, we had Latino artists come for the last, actually, they've been there since the beginning. We had Latino artists come and sell their art and, you know, and just get to be known. Uh, and our community responded wonderful, and they and they bought their art. I mean, you know, um, all the way around, it's just it's a great representation of our our Latinos locally. That's why we keep doing it, and you know, and it makes us all happy to to spend that time together, celebrating you know good music and good food. What I loved about this last one also was that it really felt a coming together of all different ethnicities. It wasn't just that you saw only Latinos at our Latino Fest, but I felt that we had different representations there. There were people with their dogs. There were people of all different ethnicities, and that really made me happy as the organizer. I have so much fun at Latino Fest. <laughs> just <laughs> just want to say that the food and the music and the energy and just watching people get together and dance and not be afraid to dance in front of a crowd of people who are there and just, you know, enjoy their time and enjoy the food and, and the artwork that is there is absolutely amazing. I had a friend also participate and she sold um, a few of her art pieces. So that was awesome. She had a blast also. Thank you for the event. And it's just going to get better. <laughs> yes, that's what we hope. And I mean, I think that what I love to see the most of Latino Fest is the families dressed in their, you know, and in, in, in their attire, like what, you know, what they want to bring. Their children are dressed. You know, I just love that. Uh, uh, you know, it's like a, an opportunity for them to to showcase, to show, you know, the love of their countries, even though they're here. And they know they need to integrate and they need to thrive and they need to, you know, learn English and they're working hard. I feel that it's just a, a really wonderful opportunity for them to feel a little bit like when they were back home and they sat in their little placita maybe and on a Sunday and they just were able to enjoy music and remember, reminisce about um, how their lives used to be, right, before they had to come here. Mm -hmm. And also meet new people that are probably from, might even be from the same place that they are from and they had no idea. I've met so many people here that turn out to be, well, I moved here with my family a few years ago from California and my family is from Durango, Mexico. So we have encountered so many people that are also from Durango, Mexico that we just, we didn't think that there would be a large population, you know? Uh, so that feels really nice to meet someone who can understand your 
like your culture and your accent, your Spanish accent, because they're all a little different from each other. So it feels it feels warmth, I, I think, when I when I encounter someone who's also from the same place that my family is from. It's like, oh, paisano, okay. That's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. So moving on to my next question. Let's see here. Oh, yes. We can't forget to talk about Christmas on Green Street. <laughs> so let's jump oh, into yeah. that. Tell us how, how the idea came about and uh, up until the point where it actually did happen. So we are all about also trying to have our community not only feel a part of, but also be engaged in participating. And so six years ago, I felt that um, we were underrepresented in a lot of things. Although some things have changed, I still feel that that our community needs to be engaged in, in a different manner in order to be able to participate in some things. So we we were not in a good position to, to be able to um, participate in, in that Green Street parade and have a community float, right? And, um, and we want it to be a community float, not a purchased one, not a, you know, one that represented what our community feels about, you know, Christmas and how special it is. So our first one, I mean, we literally put those together just on a committee committee of volunteers who, who want to contribute to making that float, you know, a beautiful one, right? But it's all very handmade. It's all very, you know, just very represented um, by people and what they want to contribute to it. And so our first one, we decided that we wanted to have children participate on the float so we had uh, the nativity like a nativity and it was the first nativity that I've ever seen I mean there was no other nativity that year which is I think it was 2019 our first one and um and we wanted to do a theme of posadas um so we had the big piñatas and we wanted to you know we have a vision for these things right and um we've also had children with different flags representing different countries because we want our community, you know, our largest one is most definitely our Mexican community, so rich and so much to to share. But then our communities have grown over the years to include other ones like Guatemala and now El Salvador and Honduras. We see a lot of, of other, um, you know, rep- other countries represented. So we had different flags when we won first place. We actually had, you know, youth walking with their you know attire if they wanted to or if they could hold a flag and we um we wanted the youth to participate in it as well um this last one we won second place right after jackson emc but you couldn't really beat that one it was full of lights and you know but i felt very honored to have come in second place after that one actually you know and, and representing our community we had you know it was larger this year a lot more people involved and it was just just really, again, beautiful. It represented our, our what we feel is Christmas for us. And congratulations. And you guys, your float was, again, one of the best. Aww, Same as last you. year. <laughs> well, we, 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 you know, we wanted to, we wanted to be really, I think we, when we uh, look at history, we're, we were the first Latino float of the Christmas Green, Green Street Parade. And on that note, I actually want to just go back to our first interview, which was the one I mentioned earlier for my school. 
and you told me something about those words about Merry Christmas or Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Yes. Do you do you want to share what happened? Okay. So we um, actually one of the pictures of our first float is in a social studies book in California, and the um, banner reads Feliz Navidad, and it's our our folklore dancers are holding it as we walk the float, you know, through the, down the Green Street, but. Um, the banner, Feliz Navidad, I think was the first time that, most definitely the first time uh, on the Christmas Green Street um, parade, where as we were walking by, I really felt a little bit like what is going to be, you know, yelled at us as we're walking down Green Street with our Latina float. You know, I, I was a little, um, especially the first year. After the first year, everything was fine. <laughs> um, so the first year, we were like, what are people going to to say to us, right, as we go by? And actually, we had Feliz Navidad said to us going down Green Street, which was so wonderful. You know, it felt so beautiful to have people saying and making that effort, not only from our Latino community, but we had actually people that perhaps only speak English say to us, Feliz Navidad, as we went by. And it made me very hopeful uh, in the sense that we can become one community, uh, you know, in our efforts to understand each other and to have that, you know, compassion and, and just understanding of, of, you know, the differences in our community. Beautiful. Yes. So would this have been the first time that those words were spoken on Green Street Parade, Christmas Parade? I think they were. Amazing. <laughs> I think they were. I mean, I'm, I'm, I welcome anybody who thinks differently, but I think we were the first ones who put, you know, uh, participated in the Green Street Parade with a Latino float. And I think those were the first times that we, the first time we heard on Green Street those words said. How cool it is to have that picture just stay imprinted and lasting on a textbook where so many students will you know, read the text and look at the image and it's it's just going to be there. And California is so, I mean, you know, they have so many floats and they have so many parades where Latinos participate. So for them to actually reach out right after that and say, can we use your picture for, a, you know, this textbook really made me feel like, you know, this this is going to be wonderful. You know, like this this has the potential to to be so wonderful for our community you know, because coming from California, I mean, you know, that, that that's, you know, what happens. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful floats and a lot of, you know, beautiful participation. And it just it just made me feel really um, like we had done the right thing and in, in participating and in, in making, you know, making those efforts and in, in community engagement. What has to be said really about the parade and our participation is that as a community, we, we came together and we had a huge amount of horses. I think our first float was 12 that followed behind us. And every year we've had horses that come and follow behind us. I mean, horses and and uh, and, and farming and um, ranchos here are a big deal for our community, right? I mean, there's that's another aspect of our community that maybe few know about, right? So there's still a lot to, to do as far as show, showcasing all the wonderful things that we have as a community. And I hope that um, we have more participation, right, of, of those things as we go along, you know, Absolutely. and continue to, to work in our community. Yes. 
my brother was also part of La, La Carroza. He was on a horse, and he dressed up with his charro clothing and attire to participate, and he had that. a blast. I love that so much because I think that that's, you know, just one of those things that that few people know about. I think everybody loved the horses, and I it might have been, you know, I don't know if that was one of those few times that horses were present at that parade as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there's also something else that uh, Hispanic Alliance Georgia is affiliated with, or you might have to correct me. It might be a branch or an extension, but let's talk about the Arts Coalition. Mm-hmm. So we started the Arts Coalition because really one of my first stops when I founded Hispanic Alliance was the chamber. And I'm actually uh, on the chamber, the Hall County Chamber. I really was wondering where being such a rich and knowing that we have such a rich, you know, culture and heritage and community, I was wondering where that was represented in in a lot of different places when I first founded Hispanic Alliance. And one of those was actually in Vision 2030. And I wanted to know where exactly, you know, that Latino art was represented um, because I had known a couple of artists who went to Atlanta and were celebrated. But locally, it was really hard for them to, to, you know, to, to find their way into being recognized for their art. And so I think there was a, a, a you know, there was just a, a gap in, in trying to connect to, to Latinos, right, and their artwork locally. And um, then I met one uh, woman who had actually sold her art in another county. And I said, you know what, we just need to form a coalition and support these just newly emerging artists and see how we can have their art be showcased so that they can be known then if there's a gap in getting to know who they are. So it was really a wonderful experience to have artists come and uh, sell their art because our community loves Latino art, right? 40% of Gainesville loves, you know, Latino art. (laughs) So, um, we saw, you know, the first Latino Fest, we saw a few few pieces sold. We had a few artists. Then uh, the second and third and fourth have been more more engaged artists wanting to continue to sell their, their art. And it's a wonderful experience for them to participate in, in, a, in putting a booth together and showcasing their art and how, you know, how they're going to sell their art and what they're going to to prepare to do for that Latino Fest. We also partnered with the library uh, this year and and doing a, you know, a smaller kind of ex- exhibition of Latino art at the library. But Latino Fest has been known to where you can get Latino art from local artists and you know, you can get portraits. Um some of those artists do wonderful portraits of your family. We saw some beautiful beautiful artwork and, you know, we're happy to be that vehicle to get these, you know, young kids known for their beautiful art, you know, and and, uh, and be able to connect them to perhaps, you know, making that their, you know, their, their life, right? Just their, their life mission instead of, you know, working somewhere else. Maybe they can, you know, become the, that artist that they want to with that support. Latino um, Fest provides that you know yearly but we wanted to also be able to provide classes for them and be able to support them in other ways we've started that group um, right before covid 
and we wanted to be able to to provide those classes, which we were still in the works of doing, and providing a space for them to come whenever they wanted. We know artists who live in poverty, who don't have access to supplies, who might not have a space in their own home to be able to do their artwork, right? So we wanted just to, to give them a little bit more support. And, and that's in, you know, it's a slow moving process, but but I think because it's born out of our own community, I think it will eventually, you know, grow and, and, and thrive as a program and as a support for our community. We have to get them a little more involved in, in helping others, you know, in, in, along the way, right? We have children who might not have access to, to art supplies or an art class ever. So there's, there's some things we want to do with that art coalition um, eventually, you know, do a little bit more. For someone who is interested in joining, what would the steps be for that person to join by providing a skill maybe that they might want to offer or if they are looking for resources um, relating to the Northeast Latino Artist Coalition? I we would welcome anybody who wants to teach um, and to be able to give back to the community in helping children who don't have access to an art class, you know, um, and come and teach, you know, kids or uh, share their talents. I think that when they do that, you know, they'll, they'll be able to um, feel that they also will grow, you know. But anybody's welcome. I mean, for Latino Fest, anybody who wants to um, sell their art is more than welcome. They just have to kind of, you know, call us or email us and be put on the list. And then we'll, you know, we'll give them a, a space, a free space for them to be able to display their art and sell it if they want. So if you are a listener who would like to join the Artist Coalition, uh, you are welcome to email them at HispanicAllianceGeorgia at gmail.com or phone in. Give them a call to 678-750-0254. But I kind of just want to go back to the artwork that's in the library because I've walked in there and have seen um, different, I want to say genres, because I know I've gone in and there have been two instances where there are there are different paintings or drawings displayed on the walls. And they all do seem to kind of align almost in like a theme, I want to say. Um, so that's that's really nice to kind of take a eye break from books, 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 oh, art <laughs> on the wall. So that's that's very nice to, to see. It's a great place to appreciate, right? Art there as well, if you're going in there for, you know, for a book. Yes, yes, absolutely. But I also, also want to talk about, there is, I don't know if it has a formal name, but I know there is opportunity for people who are wanting to start, start up their own business within this organization. Could you give us some light onto what that is. So we have the Mujeres Emprendedoras program, and it's actually a um, program to help women who are living in poverty or are, you know, immigrants coming into um, the country who who would like to start their own business, who have an entrepreneurship spirit and don't have the tools and don't have, you know, just don't have a business plan and don't know how to get started. Last year with Regions and State Farm, we were able to help 10 women start their businesses and give them a stipend of $500 after they register their business with the state. We help them create a plan, a business plan, as well as mentorship 
with other successful business Latinas that that want to give back and support those women in, in the creation of their business. We had some really successful women who perhaps might have been something else before they came to this country. We had one that was a lawyer in Colombia, and when she came to this country, um, she had to kind of revamp herself and, and try to figure out what else she could do. And she actually um, was very good at doing the balloon decorations. So the last two Latino fests that we had, um, it was actually her work, which is um, Sky Balloons by Paula. And she she decided that she was going to do this, the balloon decorations for parties and other things and just special events and holidays. But she just didn't know how to get started. And actually, when she started with the program, she started saying, well, I'm here to support my husband who wants to start a towing company. But two weeks into the program, she decided she was going to follow her own dream, which her own dream was to start her own business. And um, she's very successful. She's still continuing to do what she does. She does it really well. And she does it, she has her own style, you know, and she's discovered what that is and what sells. But I think that what really helped her was we use one of the resources on, um, on the SBA website, which is Dream Builders. And what I liked about Dream Builders is that it's a program that's used by consulates all over the world in impoverished countries. Um, it's used in Colombia, it's used in Peru, and it's used to help women start their own businesses and to create their own business plan, to look and see, and it gives them the tools necessary to run their business well. Um, so we, we went with that program because of, of who we were trying to help start their micro you know, businesses. And it was really successful. We also had women who you know, who, who started their businesses and then combined efforts. And locally, we have a woman who um, had tried to do um, her own business and was cutting hair and tried to, to do things on her own. And then she took our, you know, I guess our... So she, she had tried to, um, you know, run her business, but was really unsuccessful until she went through our program. And then she opened up her own salon and combined forces with another woman who had gone through the program. And together they opened up a multi-service salon spa kind of place where, you know, where they, they have a really nice business that they run together and giving other women opportunities, even getting interns to come in from the cosmetology school and learn from them as well in the process of getting certified. So it's really a, a wonderful, it's a wonderful program. We help women who want to start their own business and we we target you know those women who don't have the you know who have barriers and trying to find that information and trying to do that and let's give that business a shout out here would you mention where they're located and their name or maybe how how someone can find them one is actually nage salon nage alma and she's the owner of nage and she gives other women opportunities to be able to um she does really wonderful balage on hair, if you know what that is. <laughs> Great. And um, and she does other stuff too. So she, you know, she she's trying to expand the services of her salon. But she um, had said that, you know, without the opportunity and those tools that were given to her in our program, she she wouldn't have been as successful as she is today. 
So those are just a couple of stories. We have a lot of other stories as well, but those are really um, worth mentioning. Thank you for sharing those stories with us today. Is there anything you wish I had asked that I didn't or anything you'd like our listeners to know about Hispanic Alliance that you haven't yet mentioned? Well, I think that, um, that, that we've covered a lot of different topics today. I think that we could discuss a little bit more in depth, uh, you know, the, our community as far as, you know, who they represent and our contributions a little more with data maybe. And next time, you know, like we can talk a little bit more about that. And I think that we, you know, we, we have a wonderful opportunity to, um, to come together in many different aspects as we learn from each other. So for someone who, who is interested in volunteering or becoming involved, how can this person reach out to Hispanic Alliance Georgia? We love getting volunteers, and that's more um, a volunteer and community organization. We do everything with um, volunteers. Everything we've, we've done and we've accomplished has been through volunteers. In the middle of the pandemic, when people were staying home, that's when we had the most volunteers come out and help our community because they knew of the need that they had. And we would have about 45 to 50 volunteers come out alongside corporations that would give us food in order to support our wonderful community. They can give us a call or just stop by the office. We're located at 2490 Hilton Drive, Suite A, and they can come by and, and just put their name on our, on, on our volunteer list. We always need you know, community members to come and help make food boxes or wrap diapers. I mean, we see 400 babies a month that come for diapers, formula, and basic needs. We also have just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different things people can come and volunteer. You can come and volunteer with tutoring now. We just opened our tutoring class for children. We help with um, math and reading um, and homework help. So we're looking for volunteers for that. And, you know, I mean, it's really wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling to give back. We've even had community hours members come and, and they really feel wonderful making food boxes for people that are needy. When we have young kids and that have community hours assigned, they, they really feel great when they get out of there. You know, it's a wonderful, positive experience to give back to, to someone that's um, in need. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come in for this interview. Thank you so much for sitting here and sharing this lovely information with all of our listeners. And we hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much for all you do. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.